0: Okay, we ready for Romans? Romans chapter (coughs) 1. Pardon me? Tough questions. questions. Well, they weren't meant to be easy, that's right. They weren't. What? Romans chapter 1. We're going to start. Somebody read Romans 1 1 to 6, just for starters, okay? Thank you. Well, the book of Romans has a very unique place in Scripture. Uh, We studied, uh, not too long ago, we studied the book of Acts. And uh, preceding the book of Acts are the four Gospels. So, those are the introductory books to the New Testament. So, book number six is the book of Romans. And uh, uh, I wonder why the book of Romans... It has this unique place, it's the first letter, it's the first letter in the New Testament because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts are history's uh, books and they're not letters. So why do you think the book of Romans is holding this place as the first letter? A lot of foundational doctrine. Yes, it does. We're going to look at a lot of doctrines in this in this book. Any other thoughts? How does it how does it naturally follow the Book of Acts? Because that's, where Paul ended up, in Rome. that's where he ended up in Rome, right? And so we would go we go from Rome to Romans, right? <laughs> And uh, so there's a natural progression there as well. Uh, we end the Book of Acts in Rome, and we start the the the, the epistles in a book to the Romans. Uh, it's a wonderful gospel, and it's powerful. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, The commentators have essentially no argument to the fact that it was written by the Apostle Paul. It's pretty clear that he's got his name on it, but more than that, there's internal evidence as to why Paul is the writer to this book. Uh, One of the things that that, uh, stands out is is in in Romans 15, there's a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Jerusalem uh, was going through a time of famine and poverty, and there was a collection being made by Paul. And uh, in earlier books, it, uh, Paul mentions this collection, and then in the book of Romans, it talks about the collection being finalized and then being delivered uh, to the saints in Jerusalem. So that's, that's an, uh, an internal piece of evidence. Also in, in Romans 15, Paul says, I'm planning to visit Rome the first time, and we know that that was true in Paul's life. He hadn't, He hadn't gotten to Rome yet. So... Uh, the fact that he has his name on it, the fact that uh, there's internal evidence leads us to believe that indeed this is the Apostle Paul. And uh, we can put a date, a pretty good date, on the the uh, uh, writing of this book. Uh, and uh, the date is 56 A.D. Uh, because uh, the, the the fact that it was written uh, uh, after the book of Christ uh, uh, both books of Corinthians uh, uh, puts a, th- a little bit later date than, than Paul's ministry. Paul ministered through the, the A.D. 50s. So uh, sometime around A.D. 56, uh, Paul wrote this. And uh, they figure that he wrote it in Corinth because it says in chapter, 15 that, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, that the person who delivered the letter came from Sencria, which is the port city of Corinth. So we, we assume that this is during the time of Paul's third missionary journey when he spent about 18 months, uh, was it 18 months? Anyway, he spent a good chunk of time in, in, uh, in Corinth and ha- probably had the time and the opportunity to write this letter. Uh, by the time Paul gets to Rome himself, it's about A.D. 60, so this is about four years before Paul actually gets to Rome because we know that he spent several years in uh, confinement in Caesarea, in, in Judea, and then with the, the long uh, uh, arduous, uh, arduous uh, ship journey, where he had the, the, uh, uh, the ship was uh, shipwrecked, and he spent time in Malta, and then finally he gets to Rome around AD60. So this is about four years before he actually arrives. Uh, where did the church come from? Well, we don't know where, who founded this church. Uh, there's no uh, history in the scriptures concerning the founding of this church. We know that it wasn't Paul. Uh, it could have been some of the other evangelists. It could have been uh, uh, somebody like Philip or one of the other uh, 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 of the apostles, but there's no record of it. Uh, the most likely guess is that it's just people who came to Pentecost uh, Jewish uh, proselytes or Jews, they came to Pentecost and uh, they, they were uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit on that day and they went back to Rome rejoicing and they founded a church there. So maybe this was just a grassroots uh, development, this church in Rome. We don't know. The structure of the letter is kind of interesting because Paul uh, is, engages in kind of a, an argument like he was in a courtroom. And uh, there is a, an unnamed objector, an unnamed person who's bringing uh, questions and accusations against uh, Paul and against the Christian faith. And he's answering these, all of these uh, an- uh, accusations one by one. So as we go through the book, we're going to see this kind, of, this, this kind of argument, this polemic of, of uh, 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 Paul uh, asking the question as if it's coming from an objector, and then he answers the question. So that's a little bit in the way of, of background, and uh, you got these, these questions, and uh, so let's go through the questions, and maybe we'll pause as we, as we go through, and, and, and we'll uh, talk more in depth about some of the answers. What exactly does it mean to be a bondservant? That's what it says in, in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. What... Is what does that word mean, and how does it apply to Paul? Yes, what does it mean to be bound in service?
1: Okay they.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They
0: volunteer? So, Pardon me? Well, you could, you see, because in the Old Testament there is a law, and I think it's in the book of Leviticus, there's a law that says if, if you, the servant has come to the end of their, the time when they have to serve and they want to stay with their master... Then they go through a ceremony and they give themselves totally to their master, even though they are a free person. So you could volunteer to be a a servant or a slave. One third of the Roman Empire were were slaves, were bond servants. One third. This formed the workforce of the Empire. Uh, And whether it was a willing slave, that was probably the majority, or it was forced slavery, Maybe because you were captured uh, uh, during a war, and uh, that's how you became a slave, or or whether you were sold into slavery by by, uh, somebody, or whether you had to go into slavery in order to pay off your debts. All of these were means by which people became slaves, but there was a lot of them. And so Paul often refers specifically to slaves. When he's talking in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 9, he, he addresses slaves directly and tells them uh, how to behave themselves now that they're believers. So, what about us? Are we meant to be bondservants? Of Christ, what? yes. Of Christ, yes. Yes, and in which way does it apply? How, how, what what does it mean to be a, a, a bondservant of Jesus Christ? I owe, my life to Jesus. I owe my life to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here, right? And I not only owe my life, but now by an act of devotion, I give my life, right? I was purchased out of the slave market of sin, and I have been made... Uh, uh, to be uh, uh, free in Christ, and now I willingly uh, sacrifice or surrender myself to God as a servant of His in return. So it's a very rich uh, concept, the idea of being a bondservant. Uh, Jude calls himself a bondservant, uh, and, and uh, James calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And so uh, ma- various of the New Testament writers delighted to call themselves. A bondservant of the Lord. The next question. What about set apart for the gospel of God? Set apart for the gospel. What does that mean? Because
1: in Paul's case, that he was called by God to be his bondservant. So obviously God had a purpose for him. So he was set apart to bring the gospel to the
0: Gentiles. Right. And when was he set apart, Rose? Rose? Yes. Yeah. So when when was he set apart specifically? On the road to Damascus. What, what was it? Yes, Christ appeared to him yeah. on the road to Damascus. Set apart from birth. Now those, those are amazing concepts. You know When Christ saves me, he sets me apart, but there's a sense in which I was set apart long before. Uh, it says in, in Ephesians chapter one and verse four, Ephesians chapter one and verse four, it says, "He chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the good pleasure of his pleasure and will. So there's a sense in which God knows me before I'm even born. There's a sense in which God knows me before I was even, before the world was even created. And he said, she's mine. He's mine. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to work my, my purposes out in, in his life and in her life. It's a wonderful thought. Before I ever chose Christ, he chose me. Before uh, I ever determined that I was going to serve God, God was serving me. God was, God was, in a special way, ordering my life so that I would come to Christ. And it says in First in Peter chapter 1 that that's all based upon God's foreknowledge. Because God knows everything from the beginning. He knows he knows the end from the beginning. And based upon His foreknowing, His plans are laid out. His plans are laid out so for me. So they are not set apart then? Not, not set apart to become the bondservants of God, not set apart to uh, uh, to, to, to walk with the Lord in glory. We know that they weren't set apart for that. Now, the the point is, does God love those people, and does he provide a way of salvation for them? That's the question. Is God kind of prejudiced and says, well, all of these are over here. They belong to me, and so they're the only ones who are going to receive any benefit. Uh, They're they're the only ones who I'm going to call to salvation. They're the only ones who are going to be blessed. That's not what the gospel says. How do we know that? What does John 3.16 say? For God, so, for God so loved the Christians. No, see, no. For God so loved the world. And the gospel call goes out to who? It goes out to the world. And, uh, and so the, the, the gospel is, whosoever will may, may come. Uh, it says that, that this is the true it says in, in uh, John chapter one, "This is the true light that lighteth every person that comes into the world, every person that comes into the world is challenged to believe in Jesus. Uh, and, and so it, it's the great whosoever of the gospel, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the, the flip side of the coin is that God knows. God knows who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved. And we don't know. So we preach the gospel to everybody, but God knows. God knows that there will be people who, uh, who come in, in, in uh, surrender to him. And God knows those who will be rebels for all their lives. And uh, I'm sure that grieves the heart of God. But when it comes to the gospel, he makes it available to all. That's a big we're probably going to visit that one several more times as we go through the book of, uh, of, of Romans. On what basis did Paul have authority? So it says in, in, in uh, uh, verse 5, through him and for his namesake we received grace and apostleship. On what basis did he have this authority? Through the blood of Jesus, okay, he, he, was, he was saved through the blood of Jesus. But what's, what's this authority that he has, this, this grace and apostleship that he has? Okay. Uh, There are witnesses that confirm the truth of things. It's true. Uh, When when Paul got saved, God told him that he was going to be a minister to reach out to the Gentiles. When Paul got saved, he was given uh, a work to do and when, when the Lord gives us a work to do, he gives us the authority to do it. He gives us the the empowerment he gives us the, the credentials in order in order to do it. Paul had authority as 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 an apostle. Now some would say, well, there were already twelve apostles, so what, Paul is is uh, he's a pretender. Anybody look at what it means to be an apostle and how you become an apostle? Okay, well that would discount Paul. Okay, so which is it? it, it do you have to be somebody who's, who walked with uh, uh, the Lord through his ministry, the three years of his ministry, in order to be an apostle? Because that discounts Paul. Yeah. Right. So uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, we have the choosing. Mark chapter 3, verse 4, we have the choosing of the apostles, and they're chosen by Jesus himself. And so I think that that's one of the primary aspects of being an apostle. You have to have been chosen by Jesus himself. Men don't choose other men to be apostles. It says in, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, Jesus went up on the mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority. So that's the Lord Jesus uh, designating the 12. Then we get uh, to... to uh, uh, why was why is paul uh now an apostle how could he possibly get into that chosen group one judas is curious um well I the one that he created Jesus and lost his apostleship yes so Well, yeah, if if Matthias was the 12th Apostle, then there was no room for Paul, it was a closed shop. Uh, They already had their 12. The question is, who chose Matthias? Did God really choose Matthias? Did Jesus really choose Matthias? And they assumed, because they cast lots to see who would be uh, the Apostle, they assumed that it was Jesus choosing. The question is, did Jesus choose Matthias? Uh, It's my thought that he didn't. That this was Peter, and Peter had a habit of going ahead of the Lord. Uh, It wasn't a bad decision, because Matthias must have been a great man. See, Uh, The question was, was it it God's decision? Was it Jesus' decision? And that's where the problem lies, because when... When Paul came to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles, they said, well, you're not an apostle because, you see, we already got 12. And so for years, he wasn't accepted as an apostle. And he had to, in many ways, prove his apostleship. The the key in understanding what an apostle is, is this. Chosen personally by Jesus and an eyewitness of the resurrection. It says that in Acts chapter 1, verse 22. And was Paul an eyewitness of the resurrection? That's the question. Was he an eyewitness? Did he see Jesus in resurrection? He saw him on the road to Damascus. And he talked with the risen Lord. So Paul had a vision of the the, the, the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. And you see, that, that's one of the confirming signs of, of uh, becoming an apostle. It says in 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes this assertion. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And that's what confirmed him to be an apostle. He was he was. He saw the Lord, and the Lord gave him that authority and that apostleship. So, uh, uh, I believe that, that uh, Paul uh, was chosen to be a witness of the resurrection. He'd actually seen the Lord in the resurrection, and uh, he was chosen to do the work of, of an apostle. Uh, any, other, any other thoughts on that? By the way, what was the work of an apostle? Pardon me? To plant, churches. to plant churches? Yes. In fact, he says this in, in um, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. He says, though I'm not an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The planting of churches was one of the seals of, of an apostle. In other words, they, that's what, that was their job. Go out and preach the gospel and plant churches. And what other big job were they given? What other big job? You're holding it in your hands. <laughs> to, you see, that this is the product of the of the prophets and apostles. The other big job that the apostles were given was to write the word of God, to write the New Testament. This is an apostolic message. All right. And and uh, whether it was the apostles or those that were were given a, a, a delegated authority from the apostles to write. Uh, uh, like Jude wasn't an apostle. James, uh, the, the James, the brother of Jesus, wasn't an apostle. Uh, Luke wasn't an apostle, but they were given delegated authority from the apostles to write the New Testament. So during this apostolic era, era the word of God was written down. And it's the work of the apostles. And that's why it says... In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, really good verse, it says this, that we are, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, we're founded on the word of God, which is produced by the apostolic ministry. Any other, other thoughts or, or additions to what we're saying there? Okay, let's go on. What does it mean to be called? What does it mean to be called? It says in, in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, in verse. I think that's down in verse 6. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Pardon me? Didn't we
1: just cover that question?
0: Well, called? We are, we're called. It's not just Paul who was called. We're called. This is a wonderful thing to meditate on. There was a day when God called me to become his child. He called me. We're we're called. We were called. We were chosen. And then, and then th- we were called as well. Did you know that on the day you got saved it was because God was calling you? Alice things come things to me, you know, that's like what a to do God's
1: work.
0: Yes? But you were just like like a parent calls the child into supper, you know. Come. 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 It's a wonderful verse. It's a wonderful thought, you know, that I was called. You had to have the ability to listen. Yeah. And because the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel call goes out to this whole world. God is calling people to himself. And uh, there are days when God calls somebody. I think of one of my good friends in, in medical school, Phil. And... Uh, uh, I'd been talking to him about the Lord, and uh, uh, one day there was a, a noted evangelical preacher, John Stott, uh, uh, Reverend John Stott from England, was going to speak at uh, at Convocation Hall on the University of Toronto. And uh, I invited Phil, and uh, uh, he, uh, we drove up to, to Convocation Hall to park. And he, it was in, in, in his uh, in his car, and he was sitting there and. And I got out of the car and Phil didn't get out of the car. I said, Phil, are you coming in? He says, Jim, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I believe God was calling Phil. And on that day, God says no. Or at least Phil said no. And you know, I checked in on him some years later. Not a Christian, not a Christian. Wandered away from that call and lost in the world. Uh, So sad. You know that he rejected the day of his calling, and uh, uh, as far as I know, Phil never became uh, a believer. God calls us so sweetly, and it's up to us to respond. Well, it says in it says in verse six, and you also are among those who are called. To belong to Jesus Christ. Verse uh, 6, Kenny. Yes. Sorry, we got, we slid down to verse (laughs) 6. Sorry about that. Yeah, there was a special call on Paul's life to to accept this ministry of apostleship. He was called to be an apostle as well. But uh, we are also called to belong to, to Jesus Christ. So what doctrines of Christ does Paul share in verses 2 to 4? And then the, the corollary is, but why does he share them here? Because they seem to interrupt his thought. He starts out by talking about the gospel of God, and then he, he immediately goes into uh, some teaching about the scriptures and about uh, Jesus Christ and, and so on. Why, why does he do that? Yeah. Those are those are doctrines, right? There's the doctrine of Christ. And what particular uh, you legitimize God Jesus is the
1: one. Yeah. Pointing out his lineage to this audience, we yeah. will give him more credit about what he's talking
0: about. Right. Okay. He's he's legitimizing his message by referring to to these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think this ties in with the next with the next question. What What do we learn here about the gospel of God? If it if a long time ago. it was prophesied a long time ago, all right. It was prophesied a long time, ago. and what in in a sense, Paul is giving you a little snapshot of what the, what the gospel of God is. In just a couple of verses here, he tells you the whole gospel. Because uh, it's the gospel of God. What does it mean when it says gospel of God? Good
1: news.
0: But but the, uh, the the gospel is the good news. But what does it mean the gospel of God? God, is the, God is the author of the gospel. God is the author of the gospel. So the gospel, the origin of the gospel was God's heart, God's mind. Right? So as soon as you understand that, that the, the, uh, uh, the theme here is the gospel, the theme is the gospel, it's the good news. It's the good news that comes from God. Now you know why Paul makes reference to these other things because he's giving you a con- the content of the gospel in a very few verses. It's like it's like a little John 3:16. It's it it's suddenly he gives you the content of the gospel all contained in in a, in a couple of short verses. And and uh, uh the the gospel message begins he said he says where it begins it begins not in the New Testament, it begins in the Old Testament. Can anybody tell me where they might find a gospel message in the Old Testament concerning the coming of Jesus. Genesis, Genesis what? what? Well, you don't have to give it's the chapter be, and verse. Christ just tell is going to be the Okay. Isaiah nine. Isaiah chapter nine. What what's in Isaiah nine? unto us a son is born, the
1: government shall be upon his children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And his name shall be called wonderful. Yeah, right. So there's the announcement of the Savior back in Isaiah chapter nine. And uh, 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 Tamara, you're right. The first reference to the gospel by is chap- Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, where it says. And I will put enmity
1: between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and will strike, and you will strike his heel.
0: Exactly, this is the first reference to the coming of a savior. All right, that that uh, Satan is going to be beaten because the seed of the woman is is going to uh, crush the head of the serpent. First reference to to the coming of a Messiah, to the coming of the savior back in the in the Old Testament, and all the way through the Old Testament, you get you get pictures of of the Messiah. Moses says, there's coming a prophet who's going to be greater than me. Listen to him. Uh, The the whole idea of the the blood that was shed and put on the doorposts uh, on the night of the Passover as a picture of Christ and his uh, his, uh, redemption, the the, the beautiful uh, uh, cross of the Lord where the blood was shed to purchase our redemption. All the way through the Old Testament, you get glimpses and pictures of the coming of of Messiah. So, the the prophets uh, beforehand uh, uh, talked about this gospel. And then, verse 3, regarding his son. By the way, is the son of God mentioned in the Old Testament? Anybody got any thought about that? Because it says here in these verses, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now some people believe that he became the son of God when when God raised him from the dead. He was declared with power to be, be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Was Jesus the son of God before he was raised from the dead? Okay, was Jesus the Son of God back in the Old Testament? Yes. Can you prove it? Had right, as baptism. Okay, that that was uh, in the New Testament, but uh, that's that's a good evidence, right, at the baptism of Jesus. What what happened, Rick? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right. So that was a witness to Jesus being the son of God at his baptism. That's a good one. Well, Isaiah 9 and 6 again is, but it doesn't say son. Of God. It doesn't say son it in son Isaiah. Is but it says that the, he says that that, that that exalted person is, he will call his name wonderful, counselor, mighty. God. So that's a big hint, right? That the person who's coming is nothing less than mighty God, right? There are some beautiful references in the Old Testament. And one of them is, is, is uh, uh, Psalm chapter 2, Lou Warren's favorite psalm, I think. Uh, psalm chapter 2. In case anybody comes along, like a Jehovah's Witness or something, and, and they say, Well, uh, uh, Jesus is not divine, he's not, no idea of the, uh, this uh, uh, Trinity. Uh, that the, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, you can show him this verse, you can show her this verse Psalm chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 11 and 12. It says this, or, or, or seven. Uh, verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you you are destroyed in the way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment, and blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So this is a direct reference to God the Son uh, in in the Old Testament. Beautiful reference to God the Son in the Old Testament.
1: bless you. And whoever curses you I will curse, and all people of the earth will be blessed through you. Was that also a reference
0: to how Christ was going to be coming through the line from Abraham? Uh yes, it it in in your seed so all the nations of the earth be blessed. This we know that the seed was going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's references to the Savior, the Messiah coming in the Old Testament, and there's actual proof that it is not, no one less than the Son of God. The Son of God was going to come. So uh, if, if we go back to the book of Romans... Romans chapter 1 it says the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures so the gospel was prophesied beforehand and the the key person of the gospel is regarding his son and uh, we know now that he's got two natures because it says in verse uh, 2 as to his human nature he was a descendant of David and then he's got this divine nature. He's the son of God. So another one of the great uh, doctrines that is being proclaimed here is the dual nature of, of Christ. He's both man and God. Why did he need to be both? He's an intermediary. An intermediary. And, he knows what we have experienced. Mm. Right. He comes in the he is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, right? He's the mediator. So a mediator needs to be able to, to represent both sides impartially, so he right? To sides. Yeah. He he relates to both sides. So Jesus as God takes God, takes God's hand here, and As man, he takes man's side, takes man's hand here, and he brings them together. He's the mediator. So it's it's an important part of the gospel to understand that Jesus is both. Jesus is both. He represents man to God, and he represents God to, to man. So, uh, we're learning about the gospel. And, and the key the key thought here in these opening verses that Paul is saying is that it's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. At least six times before we get to, to verse 18 or so. Uh, the, the, Paul is, is, goes back to the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Uh, so, if... If Jesus was already the Son of God before the resurrection, what does it mean that he was declared the Son of God by the resurrection? That's what it says in verse uh, verse 4. Who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: this is truly the Son
0: of God who has come back to life. To dispel all doubt. That, that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a truth in that. To dispel all doubt. Christ was able to raise three
1: people from the dead. Lazarus, the daughter of and um, there was another young woman that he raised. But no one in
0: yeah. Yeah. He's called the first born from among the dead. In other words, the most important person to come out from the grave was the Lord Jesus, because, as as you've said, he he had the power to lay down his life and he had the power to take it up again. Is it just people who God declared his, his, uh, the, the, uh, the Son of God to at the resurrection? He declared it to the universe. He declared it to, the, and that includes? Satan. Hmm? Satan. Satan. Satan and, and, and all the hosts of evil were served notice when Jesus was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, uh, Jesus is the, is the, is the Lord of all. And uh, uh, what a wonderful day that was. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, he declared once and for all who, was, who the winner was going to be. So declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And uh, such a mighty display of power. Now, um, who is the we in verse 5? Who is the we in verse 5? Through him, for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship. Believers. Believers Okay, Okay. it could be believers, but do do we all receive apostleship? Maybe the other disciples, Paul's companions, the other disciples. uh, His companions, okay. But did, did they receive apostleship? No, no. What about the other, the other 11 disciples? Uh-huh. the other apostles. Yeah, yeah I, I think when he's talking here, he's talking about the apostolic we. And he's including himself in a, as an apostle. And he saying, we have received grace and apostleship. Now, we all receive, we all receive uh, 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 grace grace when we get saved, but we don't all receive apostleship. By the way, are there apostles today? Not according to what your criteria was. Right? <laughs> Not according to the criteria, right? It's true, you see, because if we have to be a, an eyewitness of the resurrection, appointed personally by Jesus Christ, right, uh, No, there's no apostle today like this. Right? Uh, Uh, Some people are powerful in their ministry, but uh, but they're not apostles of Jesus Christ. Uh, So, I think we covered the next one. Why was Paul made an apostle? It was just the grace of God that chose him to be an apostle. What is the end purpose for which Paul preached? Verse 6. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To call people, call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. By the way, this is another aspect of the gospel. The gospel is proclaimed, but it only becomes effective in a, in a, in a person's life when they have what? Accepting Christ. When they accept Christ, it comes, the, the, the obedience that comes from faith. Faith. So another aspect of the gospel is you got to trust it before it becomes effective in your life. Okay, well I think, I think we're going to uh, uh, call it there.